When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Audio Judo. I'm Matthew. And I'm Kyle. And this is your podcast of music discovery, now coming at you from two separate locations. Me and Randy here at the home base in Las Vegas. Kyle is now remote somewhere in sunny, sunny California. (laughs) Today was finally sunny after being here for two and a half weeks. Yay! So we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the number one music podcast network on the planet. In addition to the nearly 100 episodes of Audio Judo, we also produce two other podcasts, Audio Judo Does Jazz, which is in pre-production for its second season, and Throughline, which is growing more and more successful by the day, and it takes a very deep dive on the concept of a record, whether intended or not. That show is getting more and more interesting with every listen and Christian is also taking on some really unique records. I just covered ABBA's Arrival, uh, so I'm intrigued to see where that's headed. You can find both of those at Pantheon as well, or find links to those shows at our website, audiojudo.com. Besides those three programs, we have bonus content that you can only get through our OnlyFans account. Oh, wait. Oh. Uh, That's our Patreon account. Sorry, Patreon account. Uh, Kyle, how would they get something like that? That is a very different type of content that uh, I don't think we provide yet. (laughs) Uh, But our Patreon is at patreon.com forward slash audio judo. We have three tiers. Uh, The lowest tier is called Shout It Out Loud. For only a dollar or a euro or whatever your local currency is per month, uh, you can help support the show. And in exchange, you'll get a shout out at the end of every episode. If you want to step it up a little bit from that, you can join the front row seats tier for five bucks a month. You can help out the podcast a little bit more and you'll get the shout out by name at the end of every episode. You'll get two day early access ish to full episodes. Uh, You'll get access to bonus mini episodes that we call judo chops and you'll get access to occasional uh, bonus bits such as unedited interviews, uh, behind the scenes videos and tiny tidbits that got cut out of episodes for whatever reason. If you really want to help the podcast out and get a little bit more something for yourself in return uh, for 20 bucks a month, you can join the backstage past here. Uh, for that, you get the shout out by name, you get the two day early access to episodes, you get the access to judo chops, you get the little bonus clips. Plus, after three months at this tier, you get a very special personalized gift from Matthew and I. And after one year at this tier, you get to co-host an episode of Audio Judo on the album of your choice. Uh, you do have to be a patron at that tier for one full year, and that does only activate once. So you can, even if you stay in it afterwards, you can't keep doing an episode every single year. Uh, but all three tiers do help out the podcast. And uh, like I said, at the end of every episode, we're giving everybody a shout out. So if nothing else, you get to hear your name read by one of us. Well, yay. So uh, now I've I've been wanting to do this album for a long time uh, because, believe it or not, it is one of my favorite albums of that era or any other era. Uh, it seems like this is probably an outlier for me, but I really, really enjoy this style of music. Uh, <laughs> I was a pretty young kid when these sounds were the sounds of the times, but this album really set the stage for a new genre of music. Today, we are talking about the debut album from Christopher Cross, the self-titled Christopher Cross, uh, the Grammy-sweeping monster album that spawned the genre that we now refer to as Yacht Rock and made Christopher Cross, at least temporarily, the face of soft rock. 
I'm sure you have some kind of familiarity with uh, Christopher Cross, right, Kyle? A little bit, you know, just from the radio play, a lot of his hits. My mom was a big fan of Christopher Cross when I was growing yeah. up, so yeah. uh, she should I heard. I think she had the cassette of this album because I recognized the cover, Okay, um, but, but I don't think she had the vinyl or anything like that, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing this cassette in her collection of tapes somewhere. Yeah, so I'm very close to this record. Uh, more on that in a little bit, uh, but before we talk about the album, we should talk a little bit about the artist responsible for it, uh, Christopher Cross. Christopher Cross was born Christopher Geppert on May 3rd, 1951 in San Antonio, Texas to an army pediatrician uh, and his family as a result uh, was constantly on the move during the early part of his life. Spent time in Japan, other places overseas, as well as several places in the States, but the family would eventually settle down and spend the bulk of his teenage years in the San Antonio area. Now, as an aside, Kyle, this may be one of the most difficult episodes that I had to research because Cross is what we would call a reluctant celebrity. Yeah. He is intensely private and rarely gives interviews. And even in those interviews that do exist, he is really cagey about his yes. past. And there's very little said about his youth. Spent time abroad. He was a military brat. Then bam, he's in a band in the area out of high school. I had such a hard time finding <laughs> anything beyond what was on the Wikipedia page about his past. There are a couple right. of articles linked from there that are basically the sum total of interviews that he's done. And then Correct. I did also find um, when he was promoting one of his albums in the mid nineties, he did an interview on Howard Stern. Yep. And okay. I, I was like, and somebody had linked to it because they were like, and we'll get to it. We'll come back around to it later on in the episode. But somebody had linked to it and said, oh, he talks about thing X that I had seen somewhere else. I was like, oh, great. I went and tried to listen to the, the interview and it is Howard Stern at his worst. <laughs> it's because <laughs> it's it's, yeah. it's when he had like you know like five hosts on the show, yeah. and every one of them is trying to get their jabs in, and you can just hear poor Christopher Cross sitting there, and he, they'd be like, "So tell us about your childhood." And he'd be like, "Well, actually, I had a really tough. Oh, did you get molested? Did you get raped? What happened to you? When we, who touched you? Was it a priest? Was it?" A, and it's just like it's every one of them is just like that sounds like Stern for the jabs, and it's it is nuts how like rapid fire and quick it is. And you're just like, okay, let the man talk. And then finally they get done and he's like, yeah, well, all those things happened to me and just shuts up again. And you're like, oh yeah, that's, I can see why he doesn't yep. you know, like he's doing these kind of interviews now. Pretty dry. Or ever. Uh, even, even when uh, Heather and I saw him live back in September, just even his uh, patter between the crowd and him, it's very dry. He spent several minutes chastising the casino for delaying the start of the show. Uh, <laughs> he said he was, he was raised to be like Frank Sinatra. And if Sinatra said that the concert started at eight, then he better be taking the stage at eight. And he didn't take the stage to like 820. And he's like, the casino made me hold the doors because there were people snaked through the entire casino, which was true. And I'm like, your ingress sucks. But yeah, he was, it's just very, it, it's just very dry. And you know, it's, it's weird. So a lot of this is cobbled together from a bunch of small interviews where he gives little nuggets, but mostly he prefers that the music that he creates speaks for itself doesn't yeah. really get too much into it. Uh, so apparently, in the late 60s, the San Antonio area was the capital of South Texas rock, and the hippest club in the area in 1968 was the Pussycat Club, Ooh. when all the world was looking at San Antonio because the World's Fair
Fair was there. Another aside, do they have World's Fairs anymore? If you look through history, the biggest inventions of the time were always unveiled during the World's Fair, or the mo most amazing architecture was done, like the Seattle Space Needle and the Art Institute in Chicago. I have a feeling they still happen, but uh, they aren't as widely reported or as consequential, I think, as they used to be. Yeah. I think something like CES now kind of so taking their place. Apparently, uh, so the next one is in Buenos Aires in 2023, oh. Osaka 2025, and they are currently picking, looks like 2030 will be the next one. So they still do it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, apparently it is after World Expo 1980, it became the World Expo. And then after that, it looks like it became a platform for nations to improve their image. Is there a bad connotation with the word fair that you have to change it? Maybe. From, I don't know. from fair to expo? Hmm, weird. Anyhow, hmm. the following year, after 68, uh, a promoter, Joe Miller, bought the Pussycat Club and started to book bands in. In the early 70s, he rebranded that club the Jam Factory, and it became the cool place for rock acts passing through and also for up-and-coming local acts like Flash. Flash was a rock and roll quartet that included a young guitarist named Christopher Gibbert. Surprise, surprise. Hmm. Apparently, they were good enough to rank as one of the best local bands, and they regularly booked gigs at the Jam Factory, and it didn't hurt that Gibbert was also more or less Miller's personal assistant. Seemed to have some benefits there. Gibbert, a.k.a. Cross, sort of, uh, and that explanation is coming, was actually originally a drummer in a band called the Psychos in junior high, uh, but started playing the guitar somewhere in the early 60s. And apparently he was excellent. Deep Purple, I'm sure you saw this story, right? Uh, About Deep Purple? So Deep no, Purple booked actually. their very first U.S. show at the Jam Factory in 1970. And lead guitarist Richie Blackmore, also a legend, got himself a flu shot that day and was unable to perform. He got so sick that he was unable to perform. So oh, the geez. show was already sold out. So Miller suggested to Deep Purple management that Christopher Cross fill in. Uh, management was for it. Lead singer Ian Gillen was not for it, uh, but they went ahead and did it anyway. So Christopher Cross played the songs that he knew, the Deep Purple songs he knew, played some blues songs that they kind of mashed together, and then he drove them to the airport, and uh, Richie Blackmore gave him one of his picks, and that was it. It's a pretty cool story. Apparently, yeah. the guys in Deep Purple, other than management, have zero recollection that this ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> management's like yeah it totally fucking happened and the guys in deep purple are like we don't remember any of this so <laughs> that sounds about right <laughs> right I, I don't think management was quite as high as the band was <laughs> and this is uh kind of where he was for the early part of the 1970s uh, besides geppert uh in the band flash was also bassist andy salmon and keyboardist rob muir and after a couple of years of slogging out in san antonio they renamed the band christopher cross not the man the band and re relocated to Austin. They added drummer Tommy Taylor to the mix and began playing around the area and recording some demos. So there is some confusion here because after a few years of knocking around, Warner Brothers signed them to a recording contract in 1979, but they still considered themselves a band, even though Cross was signed to a solo contract. Yeah, that seems like a weird, I was curious to know if that was like a weird music industry, like trying to like getcha thing. You know what I mean? Like they were trying to be like, okay, we're going to sign you to a solo and then you bring the band along and then we don't actually have to pay them so you record a whole album and then 
they're just out, you know, years of work and any, you know, payment or whatever. I don't know if it's that or were they trying to say, we just want you. So just we'll fill the band gap with any Joe Schmo from the label. You don't we'll need We'll fill guys. the band gap with the gap band. Ooh, that'd be a good idea. I love the gap band. Right. We should do some gap band stuff. Uh, so was it the band or was it the man? Christopher Cross. It remains to be seen at this point. So during this time in Los Angeles, Cross is approached by Steely Dan to come and record some tracks with them. He declines, but it gives you the kind of insight to his skill level as a guitarist because Fagan and Becker did not just ask anyone to record with them. Yeah, they were very, very picky about the artists that they asked to come and record on their albums. Right, and it's clear that they were cut from the same cloth, Cross and Steely Dan, because his perfectionism in the studio was only surpassed by their perfectionism. And we quickly find out, well, we quickly find ourselves now, after all of that background that I just gave you, minutes and minutes, seconds and seconds of background, we find ourselves already at the album we're going to talk about today, yeah, Christopher Cross. Because it was his first. And like I said, it's hard to find out a lot because he kept he keeps it so under wraps. Yeah. You you literally covered absolutely everything that I was going to talk about. The only <laughs> other thing that I would say is that uh, when they were in Austin, they did do a lot of cover songs and that kind of uh, uh, led, led to them being a little bit more popular around Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, the demos that they recorded were at famous the famous uh, Pecan Street Studios in Austin. Yes. Which is apparently a, a pretty famous recording studio. So those those are the only other two facts that I had that I don't think you went over, though. What sucks is that I have a little mark here that I wrote in Pecan Street Studio, Pecan's, Pecan <laughs> Street Studio, to research it, and I, uh, I never did. So yeah. sorry about that. So they entered the studio in uh, Los Angeles in the summer of 79 after sitting and working on these songs for a couple of years, recording in both Los Angeles and Austin. Uh, It was one of the very first albums ever to be recorded completely digitally using the new 3M digital recording system, uh, which is very evident sonically. Yeah, but I was super curious and I never did. uh, I never did uh, find any information about this. I'm curious to know whether that improved its chances of being uh, um, like preserved or if it actually degraded its chances of being preserved. Preserved how? uh, As in like, do the master tapes still exist for this? I mean, my assumption would be, my assumption would be that they had to do, they had to do like a tape backup of this. They had to do an analog backup of this because there's no way a studio would be like, yeah, record it on digital. Who cares? Just try it. It's too much money involved. They would absolutely be like, okay, record it on digital, but make sure you make an analog backup copy on tape that we can, you know, Yeah, I don't know. do whatever we need to with. And I they was did curious to know if, yeah. But if you listen to the remastered version, it sounds almost no different. Yeah. Like it's it's in, indistinguishable from, from the original. So that'd be something to look into. I, I actually well, don't know that. I know that one of the early complaints with digital recording was that, you know, with analog, you have a very wide overhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even if you blow the sound out, you can kind of do stuff to it and it still sounds okay. With digital, you have a hard limit because you the variables, the floating point variables can only get so big because mm-hmm. they're limited by the computer. And so you can say, oh, this sound literally 
literally hits that ceiling and just stops. And that was part of the problem that a lot of early digital you know, recordings had was if they hit those limits, they were just done. And there's not any way to like, you can kind of go in and clean that up. Or today you can go in and fake reproduce what you think it was going to sound like. Right. But there's not like a, a clean way to just clean it up. So, But none of that is evident when you listen to this record. No. You can't hear that limiting on this record. No, but- they did a very good job. In all honesty, there are some points where it, it, there's some songs in here that sound very much of the time they were made. Sure. But there's never a time where I'm listening to this thinking, God, that sounds like shit. Yeah, not at all. So the album was produced by Michael Omardian, who was integral in getting Christopher Cross signed in the first place. Uh, The record company really had no interest in their sound as this was in the middle of the punk revolution and the second British invasion. Uh, He found something of value in their sound and pushed hard to get them signed. They paid him back by more or less making him the producer of the record, essentially saying, this is your hill to die on. When it goes down, you go with it. And little did they know what would happen. So the album was released on December 20th, 1979. And even by that release date, you can tell the label wanted absolutely nothing to do with this record. That's a death spot. Five days before Christmas, you are going to release a soft rock record that isn't about Christmas. Clearly, they wanted it to die a quick death. But Die, it did not. Uh, This album would go on to sell 5 million copies. It would win four Grammy Awards, sweeping the album of the year, song of the year, and record of the year. Uh, The first time that had ever happened in music history, and it's only happened one time since, when Billie Eilish did it a few years ago. He also won Best New Artist that year and pretty much dominated the airways. So think about that for a second. A soft rock, yacht rock record, is one of the most dominating albums. When punk was king, bands like Journey and Foreigner were everywhere, and music was typically getting louder. And here's a soft, wonderful record with a hit song about just being on the water. And it wins everything, yeah. right? And that's why yeah. we're going to talk about it today, because it's awesome. Peaked at number six on the US Billboard 200. Uh, on the year-end charts, it was number 17 in 1980 and number six in 1981. Yeah, it so got better. A full year after it came out, it, it got better. It went up on the charts. Like you were saying, the uh, ride like the wind, sailing, never be the same, and say you'll be mine, all reach spots in the top 20 of the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. Uh, sailing went to number one, ride like the wind went to number two, uh, and ne- never be the same went to number one on the adult contemporary charts. It, this this album just did nuts. Yeah, it was it it was crazy, and it was everywhere. You want to talk about the album artwork for a second? Sure. Since that's what the you cover, remember. Yeah, it's, it's this green marble-looking background with a circle made out of pink and blue neon in the middle, and in the circle is a flamingo standing on one foot in the water and across the top it says Christopher Cross. So that flamingo obviously would go on to become sort of mascot for Christopher Cross. Uh, it's appeared on all of his, maybe not that exact flamingo, but a flamingo has appeared on every one of his covers. Some representation um, of a flamingo yeah. is is on all of them. Even the jacket cor- that I'm wearing right now oh. that you can't see, Kyle. Yeah, I was about to say it looks is, lovely. It's is a Christopher gray. Cross jacket from the 40th anniversary concert. It's got flamingos oh. on the back as well. Hmm. Much like I'll we'll have to uh, take a picture. I'll send it to you. Much like okay. Jimmy Buffett has his parrot heads, Christopher Cross has flamingo fans. Ooh. You want to talk about the uh, who created that flamingo? Yeah, sure. So it was uh well, so I, I do have a question about this because this was a little um, yeah. unusual. So it says the flamingo concept was by Jim Newhouse. Yeah. And I'm I think assuming, he just suggested it. Yeah, okay. So uh, um I know that I read a story about they had actually had this was a painting that was in the studio where they used to record and they all used to joke, hey, when we release our album, ha ha ha, this will be on the cover. So what I'm wondering <laughs> ha, is- ha, did- ha. 
did Jim Newhouse paint the original picture or was he the one who said, ha ha ha, when we release our album, that will be on the cover? I don't think I he had anything it. to do with painting or creating the picture. Okay, because I couldn't the find picture. anything about him. Yeah. But I could find stuff about, so the artwork was by Danny Henderson and James Florney Holmes. Uh, the design is by James Florney Holmes and Wonder Graphics, which is a That's studio, a company he created, yeah. Yeah, with his brother, uh, uh, David Michael Holmes. James is a musician and an artist uh, who's done cover work for bands like like Marshall Tucker, the Allman Brothers, Dr. John, Charlie Daniels, a lot of like Southern rock country bands. Uh, what do you know about Danny Henderson? Nothing. Because he, he's another person I couldn't find any information about. Couldn't find anything about him. <laughs> this is a mystery album, man. It is. It's, a, it's a wrapped in an enigma. Yeah. Can't even can't even tell. That's all I know about the artwork. I would say that's that's interesting. I'm I, Again, you know, it's incredibly well-selling album. It's very famous and nobody knows what the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. So when I broke down why I really wanted to do this record and why this record is so important to me, I really kind of, I had to sit down and think about it. Uh, we have talked about it several times. Albums or pieces of music that hit you at exact, exactly the right moment and provide you with memories so clear and present that it's like you're reliving them over and over again. Uh, the memories that I associate with this album are like yesterday. They are so vivid, so real and tangible in my mind that it's impossible to believe that they are 42 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's a long freaking time. But these are that's landmark f- albums, right? Time and place albums, and they don't leave you ever. So when you hear hear them. Whenever you hear them, they are a part of you and it's emotional and wonderful. So Kyle, I've talked about the trips uh, that my family used to take uh, as a kid, right? We used to take our family vacations in Northern Michigan and we often took them with two other families, uh, the Santamores and the Penners. Uh, my dad and Mr. Santamore had worked together and these families just had these wonderful, beautiful, loving friendships. We used to rent cabins on this little inland lake called Paradise Lake, although the town it was in was Carp Lake. So we called the lake Carp Lake, even though it was really Paradise Lake, um, <laughs> just probably easier. So we spent the days on rowboats, swimming in the lake, playing shuffleboard, and we spent the evenings playing cards while the adults, you know, pretty much got lit. That's what they did. <laughs> just kept drinking, right? So on every trip, there was one day set aside where all the families would load up the cars and drive to the beach in an area called Wilderness State Park. It was about 20 minutes away, and it was always the highlight of these trips for me. I could play in Lake Michigan, drink all the soda I wanted to, have a bunch of hot dogs. Sometimes I got to hang out with the bigger kids. But the thing that I remember most about those days was the drive in and the drive out. Uh, that is where the memories become the most visceral. So in order to get to the beach, we had to take this five-mile, super-winding road through the forest. Most of it was lined with dense foliage of pines and maples, and every once in a while you caught a glimpse of the water between the trees. The windows were always down, and here, because it was so dense with trees, it blocked out all the wind, and it was super hot. So you could smell the asphalt because they were constantly repaving that stretch of road because it would heave so much during the winter. And the radio was on, and I was jammed in the trunk area of the station wagon as an eight-year-old, that's where you were, with all of the beach stuff, because I was small, right? And the music drifted back to me. And the music of 1980 for our family was stuff like Dan Fogelberg, America, 
bred Neil Young and this record that dominated the airwaves and the correlation between sailing and that drive is so ingrained in my brain that there is absolutely no separation of time. Every time I listen to that song, I'm immediately transported to that much simpler time when all I could dream about was being older. And now that I'm older, all I want to do is go back to that. Um, those were the salad days, right? And that's why I picked this album because it makes me smile and may even make me cry a little bit. And that's why I love oh, this that's record. That's wonderful. Yeah, right? So you want to uh, take a break and do a track by track? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hey there, this is Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket. You are listening to the Audio Judo Podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Kyle, say you'll be uh, say you'll be mine. Oh, well, yeah, do it. <laughs> I'll I'll be yours. Oh, good. Oh no, sorry. That's the uh, that's the name of the oh. uh, first song. Uh, not a lot I was of lead have to up. Break some bad news to my husband there for a second. <laughs> well, we have to do what we have to do. You know, yeah, love sometimes. is a it's a fickle it's a fickle thing. Uh, not a lot of lead up into this album, which I always enjoy. It just kind of pops on and we're off and running. Song was originally supposed to be the lead single from the album, but producer Michael Martian lobbied the label to have Ride Like the Wind be the first, which was probably a wise choice. Yeah. Uh, in instead, this song became the fourth single and wound, uh, wound up getting number 20 on the uh, Billboard Hot 100, which is fine. You know? Yeah. Not, not, not bad at all. If you listen to this album in headphones, which I always recommend, this sound quality is outstanding. It reminds me a lot of Aja, Asia by Steely Dan. You yeah. can hear every instrument very clearly, and it has this dry quality to it, not a lot of reverb. Uh, we talked before about the beautiful music genre of music, which used to be referred to as easy listening, right? And it, it is just that. It's so pleasant, so melodious. And I completely understand why some people don't get it, right? I understand why people hate it, that it it isn't a style that they would re readily listen to too much like Muzak, too soft. I get it. But for me, 
I love the pleasantness sometimes, the laid back vibe, the music that just goes by you and makes you smile. And you don't have to necessarily engage with it if you don't want to, you know, it's just, it's just there. It's definitely nice sometimes to be able to just kind of relax and listen to something that's pleasant and not, you know, you don't have to think about it. You can just kind of let it wash over you. Right. And kind of, you know, and that's, and that's really what this album does for me is it me kind too. of just, you, if you've just like, I, I enjoyed listening to it the other day in the dark, laying in bed. And it was great. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is, and it's not something that put me to sleep, but it's something that's very calming and relaxing. And you could just kind of wash over you. I guess that's just the best let it go. For it. Yeah. Uh, this, the song is a duet with Nicolette Larson. She had mm-hmm. a hit of her own in 1978 called uh, a song called Lot of Love. Everyone knows that. the adult contemporary charts got to number eight on the pop charts uh and it's a sweet song as well but this band is so tight just like steely dan right and it sounds so good and this is what it sounds like So the guitar solo in the song, uh, which is great, is played by Jay Graydon, super accomplished songwriter, producer, and ranger. And where we would know him from, Kyle, is from the song Peg by Steely Dan. He played the guitar solo. Peg. Uh, and since this is the second time I talked about the album Asia, I should remind you all to check out Audio Judo episode number 48, <laughs> where we talk about that album in depth. It's a small world, and we're probably going to yeah. have a lot of that where we're connecting back to episodes we've it, covered before. It's It was interesting. I, I would have never pegged <laughs> <laughs> that there were so many connections between Christopher Cross and Steely Dan, but there really are. Not only did they ask him to come and play on their album, he has uh, some crossover that we'll get to in a minute from some artists that were on uh-huh. Steely Dan albums that came and played and sang over here. I had no idea there was that much crossover really either. Like that came as a surprise digging deep. I know there's one name coming up yeah. on this next song that, ooh, big surprise. But <laughs> but yeah, so Kyle, I really, uh, I really don't know you. I really don't know anymore. Really? Yeah. You don't know anymore? No, I don't know anymore. There's absolutely no getting around it. Before he even sings one word, you know that this song is going to feature Michael McDonald in some way. Yeah, you can feel it. (laughs) As soon as the song starts, it sounds like a Michael McDonald song. And all he ends up doing is singing one line over and over again, right? The horns are excellent on this song, as well as the synth playing uh, by Rob Muir. Muir was- Which is- uh, Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, Muir was Cross's writing partner for many years until right after the second record they released and then they had a bit of a falling out and then they got back together in the 80s and been writing ever since. But go ahead. What were you going to say? As I say, I, I do think that it's interesting, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of sax on this song, Matthew. Oh, I know Just there's saying. a lot of sax. Uh, I know. So first of all, uh, th- 
in what might be the best thing that I've ever seen in my life, uh, Jim Horn on saxophone. <laughs> Come on, dude. A guy named Horn playing the saxophone. Uh, uh, that's destiny. His real name is not Jim Horn. It's uh, still Saxy McSaxophone. Saxy McSaxophone. <laughs> he changed it to Jim Horn, so it didn't sound so obvious. <laughs> his real name is James Cello, so he's a disappointment <laughs> to his whole family. Right? They're like, you uh, bastard. Jackie Kelso on sax, Don Roberts on sax, Lou McCreary on trombone, and Chuck Finley on trumpet. Yeah. yeah it's so good. But as far as it Michael is. McDonald's concerned, I mean, come on. It's perfect. Listen to this. Jesus Christ, listen to that note he hits. Oh. It's so good. I, I still don't know how that guy just has not blown out his vocal cords hitting those notes over the years. I'm, I'm sure he has, but and it's nuts. To be honest, Christopher Cross has a very recognizable voice in his own right, right? And it's so smooth. He's got that really high tenor that cuts through. It's soft but strong. And another thing that he has in common with Steely Dan, besides the sonic beauty of the record, is the level of musician that he always uses for his records. The guitar solo in this song is played by Larry Carlton, four-time Grammy yeah. winner. Amazing career, obviously. Played with Steely Dan. Of course he did. As well as Linda Rodstadt, Andy Williams. Andy Williams. <laughs> Andy Williams. <laughs> and Dolly Parton. Uh, I guess if I had a critique on this song, is, uh, I could do without the overabundance of strings that kind of ride the song out. That dates okay. it to me a little bit. Uh, it doesn't really add anything to the song. It's just window dressing that's kind of, uh, you know, totally unnecessary. So you know how uh, you read about how Michael McDonald ended up on this album, right? Yeah, go ahead. Tell the story. So he's a, a producer, uh, Michael Omar uh, Omartian. Is it Omartian or, or Omartian? It's Omartian. I looked it up. Omartian. Okay, thank you. Uh, he and Michael... Michael McDonald knew each other from working with Steely Dan, surprise, surprise. Uh, and Michael McDonald offered, just out of the blue, offered to do some backup, background vocals for uh, one of the songs. Uh, and they took him up on his offer for uh, uh, Ride Like the Wind. Um, I'm sorry. They took him up on his offer for this song, uh, for the background vocals. Right. And then a few weeks later, they realized they needed something more for the song Ride Like the Wind. And uh, they called him up and they were just like, hey, do you want to come back and do it? And he's like, of course I want to come back and do it. <laughs> so then he came back and- uh, <laughs> he came back and did some uh, some more vocals for that. See, you do realize that uh, people are going to go back and listen to episode number 48. That's our Steely Dan episode, Asia. Mm -hmm. When Kyle says at the outset of that episode that he is he wants to, you wanted to record the entire episode in the Michael McDonald voice, and then you didn't do it. So I tried so hard. People are expecting you. <laughs> Ping! Ping! <laughs> Uh, spinning. Ooh, mm -hmm. a duet uh, with Valerie Carter. Ooh, yeah. 
So now I will say, as a whole, Christopher Cross is probably not the greatest lyricist the world has ever known. It's not the worst, not the best. This song is an epitome of lyrics that just uh, don't do it for me, and I would probably rank this song at the lower end of the songs that I like on this record. But that being said, the melody is super sweet and lovely to listen to. Just doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, but it, what it does have is a lovely flugelhorn solo played by Chuck yeah. Finley. This guy's done a ton too. Played with Buddy Rich. Probably got fired by Buddy Rich, and then rehired by <laughs> what Buddy is that, Rich. A flugelhorn? Get that shit out of my band. <laughs> All right, by Buddy Rich. Rehired by Buddy Rich. Probably fired by Buddy Rich. Rehired. (laughs) He was a member of the Tonight Show band for a while. Played with Steely Dan. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. The Rolling Stones and the ubiquitous Jackson Brown and almost everybody in between. Uh, How Jackson Jackson Brown Brown (laughs) might have single-handedly made modern music. The more and more research we do and the more and more frequently Jackson Brown comes up, I'm just, I'm blown away how much influence he had and how much, like how many little bits and pieces where you're just like, oh, who's this amazing backing vocalist? Oh, they started with Jackson Brown or, oh, they were brought into the industry by Jackson Brown or, oh, they recorded with Jackson Brown or, oh, they were singing in a lounge and Jackson Brown came in and offered him $500 to come and sing on his album or some shit. You know, it would be a funny game to play would be, let's make it three degrees. Ooh, of Jackson Brown three instead of six degrees of, like of Kevin Bacon we could probably do three degrees of Jackson Brown and get yeah. these connections because he's everywhere but uh, yeah. Chuck Finley also a member of the Wrecking Crew which we talked mm-hmm. about at length in our Beach Boys episode uh, he is most well known for his solo in the Carpenters hit Close to You which everyone knows but this song Spinning sounds like this You mentioned Valerie Carter yeah. saying uh, the ba- uh, the duet part. She had quite the story of her own. Yeah, Never really had a big career, but she sang backup for tons of artists, including the always present Jackson Brown, uh, James Taylor, and Don Henley. But she is most well-known for being the inspiration behind the Steve Winwood song, Valerie, which became mm-hmm. a huge hit for him in the 1980s. Uh, yeah, her debut he, album, uh, Just a Stone's Throw Away from 1977, is actually pretty good. It's another album kind of like this. It's a very, like, just lay down and kind of let it wash over you a little bit. And it's a good listen for, like, a, a lazy afternoon. I dig it. Yeah. Never uh, be the one same. One other thing. Oh, you got huh? more. Yeah. Uh, Go one ahead. One other thing Go. here. Uh, so uh, Rob Muir is playing an instrument called the Celesta. Mm-hmm. Here, it's the instrument that makes that sort of medley tingly noise. And a celesta like is an noise. instrument that creates sound by striking a set of metal plates with hammers. Um, some versions of it look like a tiny upright piano, while others look like a gigantic music box. Cool. I'd never heard of it before. It's a fascinating instrument that has a whole like. Uh, I'm surprised that you haven't it. like. Uh... Fi- found the Celeste aficionado and made that a judo chop yet. That seems right, right up your alley. <laughs> well, what do you think I'm working on right now? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That, 
I should. I should figure out who it is. I I know who invented it. It was invented by a guy in Paris in the 1870s. I didn't write his name down, but who is who came from that? like a long line of musical instrument inventors and you know piano tuners. So I wish I came from a long line of something. <laughs> uh, never be the same. So while the first few songs on the record are good, it is at this point that it starts to sound like the classic album. Uh, This was the third single released, and it was the third consecutive one to crack the top 40, ending at number 15, but it also spent two weeks at number one on the adult contemporary chart. There's something about the key changes that he uses coming out of Bridges that I find so satisfying. Sometimes key changes and modulations can seem tacked on and just a means to an end, but he uses them in ways that are just really pleasing to the ear, and here's what I'm talking about right here. Once again, this has a guitar solo by Jay Graydon, some wonderful piano parts played by Rob Muir, and all that is really good, but the star of the show remains his voice. Uh, He is buoyed, I like that word, buoyed, in this song and several of the songs by some background voices. On the song, it is uh, Myrna Matthews, Marty McCall, and Stormy O'Mardian. Myrna Matthews worked extensively with Steely Dan and has over 200 vocal credits to her name. Most importantly, though, she sang with the Muppets on one of their late 70s releases, The Hey day of the Muppets, if you will, the late 70s. So you got to honor her for that. Marty McCall had an extensive career, but in a completely different realm and genre than this particular record. He was part of a very successful contemporary Christian band called First Call uh, and worked most of his career in that genre. And as I researched it more, it turns out a lot of people that played or worked on this record had that association, which seems strange to me for a pop record with guys like Don Henley and members of Steely Dan associated with it because you got a bunch of you know guys named after a dildo uh all of that comes from the producer of the record michael omardian who is heavily involved in that genre to this day so he brought a lot of these artists in his wife Hmm. is stormy omardian and she sang for a while and wrote hundreds of christian songs before turning to literature she is wildly successful as a christian author one of her books the power of a praying wife topped the Christian booksellers list for 27 consecutive months. Wow. It's nuts. But that explains those associations. And just so we are clear, while I don't subscribe to any faith, I have no problem with you believing what you believe as long as you don't try to shove it down my throat or influence policy or law because of it. Was that political? <laughs> that was, uh, I feel like that was very diplomatic. I tried. And now one thing I think you will appreciate, Kyle, is that mm-hmm. when I went through First Call's song list, one of their more popular songs is called Nobody Do Me Like Jesus. So there you go. <laughs> is this the South Park thing? Did they just no, take a really real. sexy, did they take a really sexy song and just replace the word like sex or love with Jesus? <laughs> I want to feel you inside me, Jesus. <laughs> it's a real fill song. Nobody do love. me like Jesus. Nobody I had, do I, me like to, Jesus. I had to take a double take. I'm like, 
Does that, am I seeing this right? So I verified wow. it. Yeah, nobody do me. Nobody do me like Jesus. So there you go. So uh, in another of my long, uh, you know, I misheard something. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, speaking about Rickle Kasich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> many, uh, many years ago on uh, the episode. Uh, forget what episode that was actually on. That was a long time ago. Yeah. I think it was Anyways. Earworms. Oh, it was Earworms. Yeah. For years, I thought one of the lines in this must be something in French. <laughs> what line was it, Kyle? Olive long. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Turns out he's turns out he's just saying I'll live I'll alone. I'll live alone. <laughs> but for years I was like, what does Olive alone mean? Live alone. It must be must be friend like a fancy like you know like c'est la vie or you know yeah, I believe something it's like Quebecois. That. Yeah, yeah Olive alone. <laughs> I like that. So uh, yeah. So for years I would sing along with it in the car. Olive alone. Would you sing it? Olive alone. Olive alone. Mom, I know French. And I was like, I should look that up. I should see what that actually is. And I never did and then suddenly i uh, about a year ago i was listening to it and i was like oh it's i'll live alone and john was sitting next to me in the car my husband and he was like what and i was like that lyric is i'll live alone he's like yeah what did you think it was and i was like nothing i don't know i don't know <laughs> i don't know what i thought I, it was i don't know what i thought uh so know. poor shirley poor shirley pretty simple song with some fairly simple instrumentation except for the strings Fairly la- uh, vague lyrics about poor Shirley, but I rather enjoy the wordplay of juxtaposing her name Shirley with the Shirley, S-U-R-E-L-Y, on alternating lines. Shirley, you must be joking. I'm not joking, and uh, don't call me Shirley. <laughs> Some of the notes uh, he hits towards the back half of the song are incredible. Uh, he really didn't get enough credit for being such a gifted singer. He also plays the guitar solo on this song, and it's a simple solo, no fireworks, but in the service of the song, it works well, and it sounds like this now, Randy. have talked about the album being one of the first fully digital recordings, and the sound of the record is certainly one of the stars, uh, but would be nothing without the deft hands of a talented engineer. Much like Randy here is a talented engineer. What? what? <laughs> the engineer on this record, Chet, Chet, Chet Himes, also talented. He got his start with Christopher Cross working his way through the ranks in Austin, and this record was one of the first he ever worked on. So all those Grammys on your first significant record set his career up, and he ended up having a very amazing career and sadly he passed away at his home in texas in 2020 bummer you got more yeah. on that one you got Not more really. on shirley no do you want to no, ride like the I, wind I, I never did find out who shirley was though that was i don't one know thing. i was like oh there must be a poor shirley somewhere out there and nothing yeah there was i found no record of a shirley maybe he just liked that the word shirley had a synonym with somebody's name yeah, maybe and it worked well lyrically so would you like ride like the wind would you like to head down to mexico i would like to head down to mexico Lead single for the record and the song that just burst cross onto the scene got to number two on the Billboard Hot 100, where it remained for four weeks, 
held off the top spot by Call Me by Blondie. Yeah. Musically, Cross says it was a, it was based on a jam that he and the band used to warm up to. And that jam is based on a Paul McCartney and Wings song called 1985 that they had been using for years. The uh, song describes how an outlaw and convicted murderer who is on the run after escaping the law has to, quote, run like the wind to make it to the border of Mexico. And it does not fit neatly into the adult contemporary mold with lyrics about murder and stuff, you know? Yeah, right. It's quite a bit rougher and faster than most of that stuff, which is most likely what made it so successful. It was very hard to put into a box. The other thing that makes it super successful is fucking Michael McDonald. Right. Again. He provides background vocals again, and everything he touches turns to gold. Sounds like this. It's such a good song. And uh, in a Song Facts interview with Christopher Cross, one of the very rare interviews that he's done, he said of this of writing this song, quote, We were living in Houston at the time, and on the way down to Austin to record the songs, it was just a beautiful Texas day. I took acid. So I wrote the words on the way down from Houston to Austin on acid. <laughs> Great. It's so great. It's so it's, great. It's so just like casual. Yeah, I took acid. I took acid. And then I wrote all the lyrics to this song. Right. Uh, Does it? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, you go. Oh, okay. I would say this is also, uh, it's dedicated to Lowell George of the band Little Feet, uh, who had died in June of 1979, right as they were working on this album. Uh, so, you know, that's in the liner notes, which I think is very sweet. Yeah. He's and, got, uh, uh, strangely enough, he has connections to Jackson Brown as well. Right. Because literally, that guy was everywhere. And that song just make you want to drive fast with the windows down? It like does. driving down the California coast with the wind in my proverbial hair, because, you know, got no hair. So I think there's also a very uh, very important news article that we need to cover here uh, oh. from 1999. <laughs> uh, it is titled, Christopher Cross Finally Reaches the Mexican Border, and it was published in The Onion. <laughs> the entire article, this is the entire article, quote, after nearly 20 years on the run, Grammy-winning singer-songwriter Christopher Cross finally reached the Mexican border Monday. He said, I had such a long way to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I read that wrong. Quote, I had such a long way to go, said Cross, who fled south after gunning down 10 in 1980, but I finally made it to the border of Mexico. Doctors who described Cross's body as weak said much sleep would be necessary to restore the help of the fugitive adult contemporary vocalist. <laughs> Uh, that's good i I remember seeing that on the internet in 1999 and thinking it was the funniest thing it was one of the very first that one and uh the other onion article the death star to open daycare center (laughs) those two like that was that was the funniest thing in the world to me in the late 90s i i died laughing at those Uh, so (laughs) So the middle song or middle section of this song is so legendary. Like Randy knew it. We all knew it. Like the. 
You you know it as soon as you hear it. You know what song this is. And if you want to hear a crowd of 4,000 middle-aged white folks go nuts, see this live. (laughs) He puts on such a great show. He has the finest musicians with him. And when he started playing this song, it was as loud as you would hear that particular crowd get. And I was quite shocked because they were totally into it. I was looking around like, oh my God, like, wow. They, they were waiting for this one. It's a it's a great song. It's a legendary, iconic song. Yeah, it is. But the uh, light is on, Kyle. Weirdly, the next song, the light is on. Oh, And this song fits in. So, go ahead. I would say, weirdly, this song, it fits. It fits here, but it's not. I, like, why is this song not a bigger hit than it is? Oh my gosh. Do you steal my notes? Can you look at them on the G drive? <laughs> So I my first line again, this song fits in so well with the sound of this record, yet it is completely forgotten and never released as a single. Why yeah. not? I mean, you so first of it. all, uh, the Larry Carlton guitar solo in here is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Second of all, uh, Lenny Castro and Victor Feldman both doing percussion for this song really adds that little like pop to the background of it. And then, oh, who's that on backing vocals? Fucking Don Henley from the Eagles and J.D. Southern, uh, who yeah. wrote all the songs for the Eagles. Yeah, because if you can get the biggest names in music to back you up, you do it. Yeah. And note that unlike now, it is not called The Light Is On featuring Don Henley because back then you didn't do that. You just fucking showed up, walked in the studio and laid down your tracks and went along with your day because they were musicians first. I love how much I've learned from doing this podcast on how all these musicians were intertwined, intertwined to some degree. Yeah. And you never really had any, any idea that this was happening. But you mentioned Lenny Castro and Victor Feldman, two guys we haven't talked about, yeah. masters of percussion. And uh, it sounds like this in the song. So Lenny Castro's big claim to fame is the percussion track for Toto's hit Africa. (laughs) He also played on uh, Eric Clapton's hit Tears in Heaven. Victor Feldman was known for his vibraphone work, which he plays on this album, but is best known for his percussion work on Do It Again by, you guessed it, Steely Dan, who, like Jackson Brown, seems to have worked with everyone in the 1970s. Yeah. I feel like they just must have collected good musicians. Like They must have just had like a big-ass Rolodex of like, oh, good musician, you're going in the Rolodex. And then when they yep. needed somebody, it wasn't alphabetical, it was by instrument. So they just rolled through it and they're like, saxophone, saxophone, there we go, saxophone, sax- there, let's call Saxy one of these Mc three saxophone. people. Saxy Mc- saxophone <laughs> no that's uh jim he, he changed his name it's jim horn now oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> rolodex we were having this discussion at work the other day you might have to explain what the hell that is kyle I don't oh think yeah anyone so knows what a that rolodex is. was a thing kids back before phone numbers could be stored digitally you stored them on these little cards and then the rolodex was a big thing that you could spin through them really quickly on so if you knew oh i need you know kyle kurtzborn you would go to k spin the wheel over around to k and then it would have all the k names right there (laughs) it's a very like 80s office desk thing very much so so uh should we get to it let's get to it man sailing 
this is the yacht rock song. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It is the yacht rock song. It is also the song from this album that if you've never heard another Christopher Cross song, you've heard this song. Launched his career into the stratosphere for better or for worse. Uh, And it would have come to define the yacht rock genre as simply one of the smoothest songs I've ever heard. Uh, This is the song that I would hear on that road in Northern Michigan. This is the one that holds so many memories. And I know I'm not the only one because when I saw him last September, I scanned the crowd and there were so many smiling faces, so many people being swept away in a flood of moments that it clearly has impacted so many. The song would give him his flood of Grammy Awards, become a bit of a bane of his existence because people didn't believe that he necessarily deserved those awards, didn't think the songs and record were good enough to warrant that kind of recognition. And Christopher Cross would grow to hate Grammy time because if someone won an award that the quote-unquote intelligentsia didn't feel an artist deserved, they would inevitably bring up his year, 1980. But in the moment, he loved it. What I never covered early... uh, Uh, was the fact that the band was called Christopher Cross, not him. They all considered themselves a band. But when he was the only person invited up to accept the awards, he became Christopher Cross, and it alienated him from his other bandmates for years. Then came the Oscar-winning song from Arthur, and he was in demand, but they were not. And it must have been so overwhelming. Like I said, he's an intensely private dude, so this was earth-shaking to him. From nowhere to everywhere in a span of two years, and to come out relatively unscathed is a testament, really, to his character. I'm sure you've read the story about it. The song is beautiful. The lyrics were inspired by sailing trips that he would take with his friend Al Glasscock. Yeah. Al. (laughs) So that's, that's, I learned about that from that Howard Stern interview. And trust me, when he brought up the name Al Glasscock. Oh God. Stern. uh, Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. But um, (laughs) he did talk about how, I guess at this point in the, in the early nineties or mid nineties, I guess, um, he did say that, you know, by this point he he had come to accept the fact that his father was an alcoholic growing up and that his father wasn't really there for him very often. And this this guy, Al Glasscock, who was older than, than Christopher was, uh, used to take him when they would go on vacations in the summer, this guy would take him sailing with him. And uh, so, of course, you know, Stern and his crew had a lot of fun with that. But uh, sure. uh, he really did. I think it was really like a, an emotional memory for him. And he talked about how he had lost track of Al and how, you know, he had hoped, you know, to, to find him again somehow. And I don't know if anything ever came out of that Stern interview, whether they ever found one another again. They did not. reconnect. Cool. Uh, they, they reconnected and uh, he ended up sending Al one of his platinum records for oh, cool. this album. So he they did, did say, He did say on that interview that he had one and that he wanted, he had like saved yep. it for him. So that's, that's he gave cool. it, he actually did get it to him. And he also said many times that if uh, Al had taken him bowling instead, yeah. that this song would have been called Bowling and Not Sailing. <laughs> uh, song sounds like this.
So the way he wrote was not as quick and fluid as we have heard with other massive hits. Uh, Cross said this, I was just sitting at home in this cheap apartment, sitting at the table. I remember coming up with the verse and chorus, and the lyrics to the first verse of the chorus all came out. These tunings, like Joni Mitchell used to say, they get you in this sort of trance, so all that came out at once. It's not far down to paradise. The chorus just kind of came out. So I got up and wandered around the apartment just thinking, wow, that's pretty fucking great. I just thought, that's really cool. Then I sat down, and I had to try to come up with other stuff to make the rest of the song, but I thought I had something there. Then it took about two years. <laughs> before I had a bridge to that song because the modality of the modal tuning thing it gets pretty linear and you've got to be careful there are writers I won't mention who whose songs can get kind of boring because everything's in this modality so I knew I needed to lift the song out of that in the bridge and make key changes it took about two years before I came up with the bridge that changes all the keys to where it lifts but it was a pretty special moment when that happened and that's special indeed you know this yeah. was the second single released got to number one on the charts where it stayed for one week it is quite simply Yacht Rock's Freebird it yeah. is a must play if you are listening to this style of music for any length of time and it is Cross's favorite song of his own, calling it the most complete song he ever wrote. In 2007, VH1 named Sailing the most softsational soft rock song of all time. <laughs> softsational. Softsational. This is Alan Hyman on uh, 97.1. Don't say Hyman. Delilah. Diamond. <laughs> oh, Minstrel Gigolo? Delilah. Minstrel, Minstrel Gigolo? Final so song on the record? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Eric Johnson guitar solo. What? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Last song on the album. It snuck yeah. in here and like, are you kidding me? I yeah. I don't think I'd ever like consciously heard this song before until we started listening to this. And I put it on, listened through it once, and I was like, God, that guitar solo in that last track sounds really like familiar. And sure <laughs> enough. Oh, yeah. The second you know it's Eric Johnson, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that signature, yeah. whatever it is he does to his guitar. Final song on the record, fitting end, in my opinion, longest song on the record, clocking in at six minutes, kind of brings it all together with the adult contemporary lyrics, the lovely piano work and crystal clear acoustic guitars. It's the most musical song on the album and lets the musicians really play. Guitar solo, as you said, is played by the one and only Eric Johnson, who was friends with Cross for years before this. Eric Johnson, also known as Baron Von Tone, for his incredible <laughs> guitar sounds, would gain worldwide fame in 1990 and win a Grammy of his own for Cliffs of Dover, which oh, everyone man. tries to play on Guitar Hero. Here's a piece of Minstrel Gigolo with Solo. And that solo goes on for another 30 to 45 seconds after what I played. 
And this is that's that's uh, Christopher Cross for me. It's a really special record for me, and I think for so many people. Uh, these are the milestone records for a lot of us, and they completely fly in the face of everything I listen to uh, because it isn't super complex or nerdy, but it's just beautiful and wonderful. And you can call it my guilty ultimate guilty pleasure album if you want, <laughs> and I absolutely love it. It is a great album, and it's it's just it's so like I said, it's a great like evening album. You put it on, you lay down on the couch, you lay down in bed, you listen to it for a while. It's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, we want to hear what you think, whether you hate it, love it, or could care less. Get a hold of us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash audio judo at Twitter at audio judo, Instagram at audio underscore judo, or you can get a hold of us quickly at info at audio judo.com. And apparently Kyle said that you can also get a hold of us through our Patreon account. You can yeah. DM us right from if, there if you if like. If you are a patron, you can DM us directly on Patreon. Please don't Who abuse are? that. Who are our patrons? So our patrons, uh, at the Shout Out That Loud tier, Simon C., our UK consultant. Thank you so much. Uh, at the Front Row Seats tier, Aaron P., Darlene W., Michael A., uh, thank you all so much for helping to buy us a few beers. The uh, Backstage Pass tier, uh, Christian S., David W., Kristen K., Michael S., and Scott K., thank you all so much. Uh, I think we have one of their episodes coming up very quickly here, right? Like next month? We have Christians coming up. I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah. Yes, we have it coming up in in uh, probably April. Uh, we also have episodes coming up from The Kinks, My Chemical Romance, Carly Simon, Van Halen, and very, 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 very soon, our 100th episode. So be on the yeah. lookout for that. Other than that, folks, we will talk to you again all in two weeks. And bye-bye, everyone. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.